You're listening to Art Affairs, episode 65. Today I'll be talking to Sid B. So my name is Michael Faith, and this is Art Affairs. Art Affairs is my attempt at shining a spotlight on the many wonderful people that make up this amazing art community, featuring conversations with artists, gallerists, curators, telling their stories. You can dig through previous episodes, complete with show notes at artaffairspodcast.com, but the best way to stay plugged in is to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're really enjoying the show and want to help support what I'm doing here in an even bigger way, Check out the Art Affairs Patreon. Not only does it give you an opportunity to help keep the show going, but there are several community-oriented benefits as well, like getting early access to episodes and suggesting questions for upcoming guests. You can find all the information about that at patreon.com slash artaffairs. You can also connect with the show on Instagram at artaffairspodcast. All right, so today's guest is artist Sid B. And Sid actually came up in my conversation with Casey Weldon a few episodes ago who used to live in her hometown of Seattle. And as we talk about in this conversation, Sid spent most of her life in the Seattle area, even going to art school there. We also talk about the very surreal, dreamlike aesthetic of her work, her use of hand-built miniatures for reference, and a whole lot more. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sid B. Sid, welcome to the show. It's really good to have you on. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. All right. So let's dive into your background a little bit. And, and, and I read that you, you know, growing up, that you uh, moved around a lot. And, and I was going to ask you why, but I think I, I might know why, because I, I read that you were born on an Air Force base in California. So were, were your parents in, in the military? Like, were they service members? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, my mother was in the Air Force, and um, so I was born on an Air Force base that doesn't exist anymore. At some point, uh, it was closed down due to some sort of secret <laughs> hazardous waste dumping oh. situation, a lot of jet fuel. Um, anyway, uh, but uh, as a result of being a military kid, you know, I got to live in a few different areas of the world, and that was very exciting, and I'm very grateful that I got to experience that. Um, and then eventually, you know, we, we adjusted to civilian life um, as I got a little bit older, um, which was a little different, kind of a culture shock in its own. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was born in California, moved around the United States. I got to spend a few years growing up in an Air Force in Japan, which was really exciting. And, um, and then as, a, as an adult, decided to stay in the Pacific Northwest area. Um, I've, I, I moved here for school, for college, and um, I, I've just I've loved it here. It's beautiful. There's trees, there's mountains, oceans, um, and a really lovely art scene that I love to be a part of. So it's sort of where I've um, called home for, for the last 
12, 10, 12 years. Okay. So as part of like moving around, um, I guess, was that hard on you just having to uproot in whatever connections that you'd made at the point that you had to move again? Yeah. Um, so one of the, one of the interesting things about being um, a military kid or, or, you know, growing up as a, as a child who moves around every year, every two years is that um, you're always the new kid. So mm. um, you, you go to a new city and a new school and you don't know anybody. And this is obviously before, you know, cell phones. So, you know, if you, if you had a friend from your previous life, uh, it, it, there was really no way to stay in touch with them unless you wrote letters because um, we didn't even really have email in, in the in the mid 90s not until like AOL came around but um yeah so uh so some one of the ways that I learned to cope and every kid does it different but m- mine was that I got to reinvent myself every time so mm. I really enjoyed um maybe I shouldn't say really enjoyed I I I was able to find pleasure in um you know, being the new kid and having something, you know, different to offer to the, to the kids that I was around. And sometimes that meant like, you know, this time I was the really smart one. Like, Oh, now this time I'm the goth one. Or, you know, (laughs) Um, I got to play around with my identity a little bit because there was, there was room to do that freedom to do that. Um, and you know, one of the other things that came around was that, um, as I got a little bit older and it became harder to lose friendships or to, you know, peel away from some of the connections that you made as a, as a kid uh, at that particular school, for example, if you moved, um, you know, I clung on really hard. So as soon as the internet made it so that we could stay in touch, I, I, I held on to the, the one or two friends that I could make. Um, yeah, it, it was, there were, it was definitely challenging and it made you, uh, made, could it made me rely on my family much more in terms of social connection um but you know in hindsight even though it was difficult at the time but looking back on it now i am so grateful that i got to move around as much as i did because i think that really broadened my view as a youngster um and you know it offered experiences that there there just really no other ways that i personally could have experienced some of those things you know living in another country you just get to see and and learn about things that you would you you would only read about at home um and uh and i'm I'm, you know as an adult now i'm very grateful that i got to do that so young sure and so like the variety of of cultural experiences you're exposed to did that i mean in addition to that were you also exposed to the arts much as a kid is it something that you're that was kind of fostered within your home oh uh absolutely um I think my mother, despite going into the military, I think she, at heart she's a very creative person or wanted to be, and it wasn't really nur- um, nourished as a youngster for her. Um, so every creative impulse that I had growing up, every little artistic whim, you know, they, they let me indulge it. If I wanted to paint my room bright, hot pink and draw on it with Sharpies, they let me do it. Um, if I wanted to build a doll for no reason, my, my mom would let me go, you know, source through her fabric bin. I, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't perfect, but it was, when I think back on my childhood, the, the adults in my life really let me be as creative as I wanted to. And, um, 
I can't say moving around the United States gave me much um, creative inspiration as a kid. I don't think I, I went to museums or anything like that. But like I said, living overseas, there was just so much that um, that was new and exciting. And, you know, going off of off because we lived on base, going off base to experience different parts of the city. I still think about that. Um, just a wealth of, of interesting visuals that, you know, you don't have back home. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd read that you you made dolls and put on like puppet shows as a kid and even like um, painted all over your teenage bedroom. Like <laughs> so that your parents just kind of let you do that sort of, you know, express yourselves in those kind of creative ways. I think that's amazing that they were so supportive and encouraging uh, of you for that. Yeah, I, you know, now that I'm an adult with bills to pay, you know, it's hard to imagine just letting your kid <laughs> draw on the walls. And, you know, I remember I had, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a my bedroom door, I decided was going to be a page out of my sketchbook. So I just like painted on it, drew on it. Like I said, sharpied on it. That stuff's hard to cover up. Um, sometimes. Um, and, but they let me do it. Um, I mean, hey man, parents are weird, but my parents let me be uh, creative. And that was really, really great. That's awesome. I, and I also um, know that one of the kind of creative outlets that you had, uh, you know, as you were growing up was creating your own comic books. Um, and so like, were you, also into comic books as a kid? Like, is it something that you, you read a lot growing up? I, I did like comic books. Um, I think my f- formative exposure into illustration and storytelling was um, these books. You might remember them. They were called like uh, the Great Illustrated Classics. Mm. I think they were from the I think they were from the 90s. They might have been from a little bit earlier, but they had basically what they did is take these um, you know classical pieces of literature and then pare down the the writing so that it was more comprehensive for a, a, a child or a young teenager and then pair it with uh, really, I thought they were fantastic, um, um, black and white illustrations. And so that was how I, I got to learn about stories like uh, Jane Eyre or um, Dracula or my favorite, The Count of Monte Cristo. Um, and you know, the, it was, it was those drawings that really got me started, um, or, or, you know, gave me an interest into storytelling with uh, visual medium. I think, I think that was one of the first ones. Very cool. And, and so is that sort of, um, that type of visual illustrative storytelling, whether it's comic books or illustrated books, is that something that you're still really kind of into today? Yes. Um, Although it's been really hard. I think, I think, uh, let me, let me see if I, a way to word this. I don't think I'm unique in this, but the last couple of years has sort of, have sort of turned everything upside down. And so like a lot of things that I used to love up to the shutdown of everything sort of went flip floppy. So, so it's hard for me to say yes, because I haven't read a comic book in a couple of years. Um, but prior to that, I was, I was, yeah, loved, loved comic books. Um, I think that, um, oh, you know, one comes to mind um, when, when I was a kid, there was a book called The Mysteries of Harris Burdick by Chris, uh, Chris Van Allsburg. And he's the same person who did, um, who did the Polar Express and um, many, many other beloved children's books but this book the mysteries um it was a very slim book 
And the premise of it was that there's this mysterious author named Harris Burdick, and he submitted this, you know, a, basically a tome to a publisher, um, and all but maybe 10 drawings, 10 snippets of this book are lost. It's, mm. it's gone. It's, it's gone, and it's a mystery. But there are these select drawings and like tiny little, tiny little snippets that remained. And so, and they're gorgeous. These illustrations are gorgeous. I, I remember um, looking at them and, and you just, you want to crawl into, they look like they're charcoal and pencil and they're so atmospheric and they're a little bit spooky. And I just wanted to climb inside all of them. Um, and I think that was probably more so than comic books. I think that book has been one of the most important examples in my life of um, the way that one image, one single image can be the launching pad for, for an entire story. So, you know, when I was um, in college, I did try to make my own comics. I did a few little, you know, auto bio comics, um, you know, little, you know, went to the store today and I tripped. Um, and I think that was really fun. Um, it's, I, I, but I don't think sequential storytelling is my strong suit. I think it requires a very specific uh, way of thinking and the people who are good at it. I have lots of friends who make um, graphic novels and um, they're either they're writing for it or they're drawing for it. Um, and they're so skilled at it. And I tried, it, it just doesn't, I, my brain doesn't work that way. But, but when I go back to this book, the, the, the mysteries of Harris Burdick, that sort of gave me the confidence to allow one image be, be the story or, you know, be the invitation, the portal by which you, you enter into the story. And that felt right for me. No, that's really cool that you were able to make that kind of discovery. At what point was that in just your development? Where, when did you discover that and kind of make that recognition? Well, so the book itself, like I said, I was pretty young. I was like in fourth grade. And then I forgot the name because you're a kid. Why would you remember something in a detail like that? And so going through college, um, you know, comics were so cool and I wanted to be one of the cool kids. So I wanted to do comics because I wanted to be cool. Um, and I just wasn't very good at it, um, but I could paint, I could paint an image, one, I could do one. And then, and then I, um, the, the opportunity presented itself, well, maybe you could do covers for comic books. You don't have to do all the artwork inside, you just do the one on top. And that was cool. And um, I, I got to do one, I got to do some, um, some um examples for others but they didn't come to fruition and that's also not my strong suit either because those deadlines are so fast and uh, at the time I was a traditional painter I didn't have like the, the the digital skills to to keep up with people who were turning out excellent pieces of work in two days and that's I just can't compete with that um, so it was kind of like trial and error to of, of trying to find a way to make it feel right for me that you know, one image could be enough. Um, and honestly, I think after it was just time, um, time and experimentation to see what felt right. And, and in, in a way, it's, it's, it does still feel right, but there's also so much more room to grow even now. So. 
Awesome. So like growing up, you know, just thinking back to your development, um, you know, you're doing all these creative things, but did you think of it as a possible career? Like, is it something you thought you would want to do professionally even back then? Or is it something that you recognize later? I, when I was growing up, I never, there weren't many examples um, around me of adults who were um, professional artists. So I didn't know that that was something you can do. I was surrounded by people who had, you know, pretty serious jobs. Um, not that art isn't serious, but, you know, they, like I said, my mother was in the military and, um, you know, all of my friends, their parents were officers or, you know, doctors or something like that. And so I, I perceived uh, adulthood being something where you go to work and now you're a lawyer. <laughs> or, uh, I for, thought for the longest time I was going to be um, a veterinarian until I learned that sometimes you have to, you know, help a sick animal by putting it down. So I couldn't, I couldn't possibly do that. Not that it's not important. I just couldn't do it. Um, so no, I never conceived of a life that had art as a, as a profession. I didn't know what that could look like. And I think that's why I struggled so much in college, trying to figure out how to make it a profession, trying, you know, I love comic books. Is it comic book covers? I love you know, I love doing paintings, but how you, you just sell one painting over and over again? Is that, is that how you do it? And uh, I think one of the ways that um, the college experience for me could have been improved would, would have been having, I don't even know what it would be, like a course that basically says there are so many ways to make art a profession, but let's get into the brass tacks, the business side of it, so that you don't fall into the trap of thinking, you know, if I just make a painting, and sell it. Now I'm a, you know, now I'm a pro artist and that's all that there is to it. Like there's everybody that I know is making lots of different stuff. They've got their hands in all kinds of pots to, to make it work. So no, I, I didn't know. And, um, the, the, as a, as a teenager, young adult, it became clear that I'm only really good at a couple of things. And art was, was one of the things that I, at the time, had a, a natural aptitude for. And like I said, my, the, the adults in my life were very encouraging of it. So it seemed like, you know, if I could find a way to make it work, then I'll do, then I'll do that. But I didn't, I didn't really have a plan B. So <laughs> right. just kind of see what happens, go to school and see what happens. Yeah, and so and so. Speaking of school, you went to Cornish College uh, there in Seattle, and so I guess what led you to that school? What, what was it about that that attracted you? Proximity. I I um, I'm the first person in my family to go to college that I'm aware of, um, and uh, it, it you know, like I said, my parents were pretty supportive, but I think a lot of other people in my family um, uh, weren't so sure that that was a wise investment. And it, yeah, it was, just, it was the closest art school in the, uh, near me where I was living at the time, um, that felt right. Um, and that was also in a budget that I could, um, my little brain could understand. So, um, and you know, there were, there were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of things that had to line up just right for that to have worked out for me the way that it did. Um, because, you know, I, even though I came from uh, a, a family from the military, we didn't, I mean, we didn't have any college savings. There were, there was really nothing. And um, 
So I think that one of the conversations I had when, when I was seriously considering going to art school was, you know, from, from one of the supportive people in my life, they were like, well, we'll encourage you. We support this, but you have to figure out how to make it work. Um, so yeah, there were just, and I had the help of many people to, to, to make that, that happen. But, um, yeah, I, yeah, I, it was just, it seemed to me that, um, so many of the artists that I had been following at that time, when I would read their bios, they, they graduated from some prestigious art school or they got their BFA here or their MFA there. And so when I was 18, 19, it seemed like, well, I really love their work. And, um, I, so, it, and they all went to school. So it seems like I should probably do that too. So I did. Right on. And, and what was your, your focus there? Was it painting? Was it illustration? What were your, um, they, like uh, most art schools, they make you bounce around from um, area to area to see what you're interested in. So even though I went in thinking that I was going to only be a painter forever, um, you know, they, they make you do sculpture, which I loved, um, and um, illustration work, printmaking, video work, all kinds of other things. Um, so yeah, my, my, you know, by the end of it, my focus stayed primarily with painting, but I did branch out and fabricate things, build things, which I really loved. Very cool. And and so you, you must've been an amazing student because you graduated magnum cum laude in like 2013. So were you just a rock star student that was, I mean, I, I, that's impressive, right? That level of, of commitment. Uh, I don't think I was a rock star student. I just, um, it just, it felt right to, to, to make art to me. Um, that's kind of a stumper because part of me <laughs> wants to get a little bit personal and then part of me is like, maybe, but maybe I'll, I will. So, so growing up as a, 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 I'll say now I'm a recovering people pleaser, but um, at the, you know, as a young person, I definitely tried to get all the gold stars and get all the A's that I could. And, um, and so I think I was still young enough that in college, I, it was probably about the same. But um, it's it's hard because at art school, while there are some topics that are challenging, art history for one, you know, you have to memorize a bunch of stuff. And I have long since forgotten most of it. Um, that's why I write everything down now. Um, I'm so grateful that I was in a position that I was to be at, at where I was um, because, you know, now that I have some time and perspective and uh, I see how I, all the things that had to fall into place for, for, for someone like me to, to be able to go to a place like that. Um, it's really remarkable. And I'm, I'm glad that I didn't, um, I'm proud of myself that even, even then I didn't, uh, waste that opportunity, but, um, to learn as much as I could. So I don't think I was a, a, like an exceptional student, but, um, it, it it took a lot for me to be there. There was a lot that had to happen for me to be there. So I didn't, I didn't want to waste it um, as much as I could avoid. Yeah. And so just looking back, just in general, how do you feel about your time in school? Did you, do you feel like it was a rewarding experience? Did it help you kind of grow in the ways that you, that you needed? Looking back at my time in school, um, it's, it's sort of a mixed bag because on one hand, I'm incredibly grateful that everything worked out the way that it did and that I had the support from the people that I did and 
that uh, that the friendships and connections that I made while I was there helped support me to get through it as well. And um, and in many ways, my life now wouldn't look the way that it does if I hadn't gone to school. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, I've got I've got younger siblings who are like, I want to go to art school too, and uh, and I it it doesn't look like that's going to be a possibility for them because their circumstances aren't as fortuitous as mine had been at the time anyway. So um, it also, it also that, you know, seeing how that's not a possibility for some people also makes me realize that it's not a necessity. Like, I don't, I don't think you have to go. Um, I'm grateful that I did and I was able to get something out of it, but I, I don't think it's a requirement. To, to be a professional. I don't think you have to have a successful art career. In order to have a successful art career, you have to go to school. I don't believe that at all. Very cool. After graduating college, you know, uh, obviously, you know, you went to school in Seattle and that was kind of the reason why you stayed in Seattle, but then you ended up staying there and still live there today. So had that just become home to you? Or did you kind of fall, fall in love with that area and wanted it to be, you know, your forever home? Uh, yeah. After college, um, uh, it, it became pretty clear to me that, uh, the Pacific Northwest in general has so much to offer. Um, and at the time there were, you know, so many amazing artists all living in the same, excuse me, in the same hub, uh, here. Uh, and it seemed like every, you know, every first Thursday when there was an art walker, you know, and, and all the galleries opened up, it was just, it seemed like such a, it was, it was, it was amazing to have all these artists come out at the time. So, you know, this is about almost nine, 10 years ago now. Uh, it was just very exciting. And I wanted to stay in the area to be a part of it. Um, also we have some amazing galleries up here and, you know, some, you know, we got Rock LaRue up here. I love Rock LaRue. I've loved Rock LaRue since I was a teenager looking at juxtapose and high fructose. So like to think of that, that's right here and in our backyard, I, I wanted to be near that, um, you know, because Kirsten showing well, that's, she she's been showing artists that I've loved and have looked up to for, I mean, all this time. So I, it's definitely a, a privilege to be near it. And then, like I said, I mentioned the landscape before, but the Pacific Northwest it just it makes it, it suits my personality great, um, except for the heat waves we've been having the last couple of years, but. Uh, other than that, it's it's exactly the kind of um, mood that I love to live in. That's awesome. And so you mentioned Rock LaRue and just the art community there. Is that is that been something that's been a strong, uh, I guess, a, a attractor to you to that area? Do you do you feel like you're part of a larger community in the Seattle area? Um, yeah, I I it it definitely kept me here um, when there were opportunities to move away, and many of my closest friends um, I was able to meet through the arts community here um, and so yeah I do I do feel deeply connected to it excellent and and so you didn't waste any time getting your work into galleries and I think you even started uh, putting work in group exhibitions even before you graduated in 2012 um, so how did you I guess first start getting your work into galleries and making some of those connections in the art world yeah um, well like I said, I, I modeled a lot of my early career after the other artists that I looked up to. So if I saw that somebody went to art school, I said, I should probably go to art school. If I saw that somebody had been in a bunch of group shows, I was like, okay, I should probably get into some group shows. Um, so 
I don't, I don't have memories of it, but I, I think that I don't, I don't remember exactly how it started, but I think, I think I probably just reached out when I was in college, just reached out to a couple of galleries that seemed to show work that I thought I was performing at, at the time. And so maybe some said yes, most of them said no. Um, and then, um, you know, you do, you do one and then you do another and then, you know, another gallery might ask you to do it. So I had a really hard time saying no, like I said, recovering people pleaser. So, so after graduating, I just said yes to every opportunity that I could. And that did lead to some burnout, uh, for sure. I, I learned to be a little bit more careful with what I, uh, agree to do, but, um, yeah, I was just, I was just ravenous to, to get my work out there and it felt good to be wanted and to be asked to be in a group. So I felt validating too, like, okay, good. I just spent all this money to go to this school and made all these sacrifices and made other people make sacrifices for me to go to the school. So I, I can't say no to a show. So I did a lot right after college. Right. And so that early work in, you know, 2012, 2013, was it very similar in style to what you're making today? Or, or like, had you already developed your, you know, creative voice by then? Or were you still trying to figure that out? No, I was still figuring it out. Oh, for sure. I think that if I could do things differently, um, I would advise myself to take more time right out of college and uh, just continue personal exploration and experimentation um, rather than saying yes to every show that I could, uh, because what, what that ended up doing, I didn't realize it at the time, but the point of making a piece for a show is to sell. So I would, I would guide my work to be the kind of work that I thought would sell versus maybe some of the more experimental stuff that, you know, maybe it won't sell, maybe it's just for fun. But I didn't have a lot of time to just experiment and have fun because I was back to back, um, uh, back to back deadlines with shows. And so it's kind of like, you know, I think I've heard it on your podcast talked about before, but it's definitely a discussion that, you know, I hear amongst artists and creative people all the time, which is, you know, the rise of social media and how if you want to have visibility, the Mr. Algorithm to give you the visibility that you're looking for, the content needs to be the kind that the algorithm deems is worthy for it, right? So then you've got a bunch of artists who are, you know, making work to be seen, but in order to have it seen, it has to be a specific kind of work or a type of work that gets rewarded with views. And in a similar way, that's how I, I, um, I found doing all that gallery work to be, um, we're not, I love doing gallery work. Don't get me wrong. But I think that, you know, 10 years ago when I was doing it, I was saying yes to so much that I wasn't giving myself breathing room to play. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's two aspects to that, that each have separately come up on the show before. One is just guarding yourself against burnout and not overextending yourself at the last handful of shows. It seems to have come up quite a bit with some of the folks that, that I've talked to. And then the other side of it is how do you protect against, your creative vision getting impacted by the monetization of it, you know, and, and how do you protect against social media and the algorithm influencing, um, the direction that you go in? Maybe you wouldn't go in a different, so I guess what advice would you have to people that may be struggling with saying no and, and 
potentially overextending themselves so that they don't get into that position. The advice I, I might have for somebody else who is in a position where they have to juggle making money off of their work, but making work that is also true to themselves, um, or should I, maybe I should repeat this. The advice that I would give to somebody who needs to make money, but also wants to make work for their, that, that they're satisfied with work for themselves would be to give yourself the breathing room. If you're in a position like me, give yourself the breathing room of other income so that the artwork doesn't have to sell to be a success for you. Um, one of the biggest uh, realizations I had, and this was only in the last couple of years really, because I always struggled. Why can't I make all of my income from these art shows? Um, am I doing something wrong? If a painting didn't sell, I felt like a failure. If a show didn't sell out, I felt like a failure. I mean, it, it was really devastating. Um, and, you know, I had to have a very serious conversation with myself because I've had, I've had a job this, you know, like, yeah, almost my entire adult life. And, um, I had to, I had to be honest with myself about, uh, why I wasn't diving into, you know, painting full time. Um, and did, why did I feel like a failure for not doing that too? Um, and I think the, the answer that I've come to that feels, that feels right is that I like removing the very necessary, uh, income component away from it as much as possible so that if something doesn't sell, it's, it's not devastating to me. It doesn't mean that I'm, you know, going to go hungry or anything like that. It means my, I, my bills will still be paid. So, and I think that actually benefits the art even more because then you're making work that you're excited about and, um, you can pour the kind of time that you need to into it. And, um, the, the audience who likes what you're doing, they will find you, um, eventually <laughs> so so even if so even if it's not instagram you know uh, approved instagram worthy it's work that makes you satisfied and yeah that would be my advice i mean i think i had somebody in my life when i was in college try to give me that advice uh but i it's not very sexy advice so i don't think i really listened to it <laughs> um and i was very good at not listening to people when they told me stuff um and, and being, uh, yeah, I was very good at saying, no, I knew what I, I, I know better. Um, uh, yeah, I, I definitely had somebody say, get a job, <laughs> find a way to get a job so that, you know, you, you're not going to uh, destroy yourself trying to make work that, you know, may or may not sell. And so when did you, um, start listening to that? Like, when did you make the decision of, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. I should, uh, do I have a day job so that I can relieve myself of that financial burden of, you know, that's, that's potentially changing my, my craft. Well, um, I've always had a job in tandem with art making. Um, I, I, whether it's a part-time job or a full-time job right now, I have a full-time job. Uh, it was less of knowing that that's what needs to happen and more with making peace with the fact that that's the way it has been. And that's the way that it has to be, at least for now. And that's okay. Um, like I said, I would beat myself up if I wasn't doing art full time. Um, you know, I've got peers who do art full time and I'd look at, at their lives and I would compare it against mine and, and think that I was a failure because I needed a job. Um, because, you know, 
my work wasn't selling a for the rates that theirs were selling or it wasn't selling at all sometimes um and i mean there's there's the the other hidden component that i think that gets missed a lot um and it's something that i definitely didn't hear discussed in college which was and i think it it i think this does a disservice to young artists which is there's always an unseen source of support always whether that source of support is the day job whether the source of support is a spouse who has the job or parents who have uh, that are contributing financially, there's, there's always something it's, I haven't seen any examples of any successful artists I know personally who are doing art full time and not one person has helped them. You know what I mean? Um, or, or even if that person is themselves with a job, um, there are teachers as well as artists. They are, um, they're working a corporate gig, but they're also artists or, you know, you know what I'm saying? So uh, it, I think giving yourself that support, finding that support, I should say, um, it, that's, that is critical to, to living a life that is healthy and art focused as well. And so, you know, a lot of the people that, that, um, that I've talked to who do value that, that kind of day job, personal, uh, dynamic, will often get jobs that are adjacent to art career, you know, is something that is still art related. Maybe it's commercial illustration or uh, in the case of like Jeremy Hush, she does woodworking on like beautiful woodworking for residential homes. It's still kind of art related. What type of work have you historically kind of gone into or been attracted to? Uh, yeah, the same. I, I think that was a piece of advice that Jim Henson had uh, back when he would give uh, give lectures to to or do like a, talkings to to younger artists. It basically, like if you're gonna have if you're gonna be a creative person, get a a job that somehow facilitates in in some way whatever it is that helps to benefit that creative part, um, because you don't want to spend eight hours a day doing something that's totally different unless that's helping you somehow. But yeah, no, um, I worked at a print shop, a, a fine art scanning and um, reproduction studio out of Bellevue uh, called Bellevue Fine Art Reproduction. I was, I started working there right out of college and that was a really great part-time job um, for, you know, someone in a position like me right out of school, you get to meet a bunch of local artists who are coming in to get their work scanned and, you know, made prints of. And then also it was really good for me because then I could get my stuff scanned and, and <laughs> reproduced. Uh, and then, you know, you learn a lot about business from that because you're getting so many people who are trying to make, uh, you know, art careers work for them. Um, so you have those kinds of discussions and I worked there for a long time. And then, um, that, that, that really helped to, to fuel a lot of my creative endeavors outside of that. And now I work for a, uh, a games and collectibles company where I get to paint statues nice. <laughs> and help make new games. I've been very lucky to be able to have jobs that are both creative, but also teach a little bit about, um, some component of, of, of what I like to do. Um, whether it's learning more about the business side of art or whether it's learning a new painting technique, like I said, I paint statues. That's new. That was new to me. Um, yeah, I, if possible, but that is also a privilege to be able to do that. And, and so you said that, that this current role, I think you said you, you're working full time. Um, how are you able to balance the, the day job work and still have that creative spark when you're working on your, your personal stuff? 
very hard. So it, it is a challenge to balance um, full-time work with, um, you know, nighttime and uh, weekend art making, and it is not always successful, unfortunately for me. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just either A, I'm not very good at managing my time sometimes, or um, it's either that or what else? What else could be the reason? Um, <laughs> no, I think, um, well, let's see, how, how personal do I want to get? Um, when the pandemic hit, and I think everybody's tired of talking about it, but my priorities took a, a pretty big shift. Um, it became clear to me that I needed to focus on money making so that I could build up a, a, a support, a safety net for myself. Um, and so when I got the full-time job that I had, I have, my priority was, it, it was no longer art making. It was work, pour, pour everything I have into this job, this new job that I have, make what I need to make, save what I need to save. And, you know, I, I, it, it also lined up with a bunch of galleries postponing or halting their shows. I mean, there, there just wasn't anything going on. It felt like just all the noise that you live with just suddenly stopped. And um, so, so I spent the last couple of years just really focusing on that. And it made sense for me to do that. So, you know, paused from art making is, is kind of a way to say that. Um, but it was the right thing to do for me. And now you know, things have opened back up, shows are back on. I just had a solo show that I sent down to Utrecht Gallery down in Australia, which was wonderful. They're lovely. Um, it, it is a challenge to carve out the time when you would rather be sleeping or living. Um, it, it has been challenging, but it's also made it so that you know, I, I need to be more selective with the things that I agree to do. So when I, I do participate in something, it's because I really, I, I really, really, really want it. And actually, I shouldn't even say that because there are things that I, I back out of that I, I really want to do, but it just doesn't work out. Yeah, I just you, you get to be more selective, I think. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you at the start of the pandemic, and I think I had read that, that you had been laid off at, at some point. Yeah, when the uh, when that pan excuse me when the pandemic hit, it was like everything shut down, and um, people in my position were no exception. Were no exception. And so, like, you can definitely see how that would spur you to be like, okay, I got to focus on money because, like, I suddenly don't have a job, and that's and then the world is falling apart around me. Like, so that makes a lot of sense. Why you would um, kind of refocus your energy? At what point did you broaden that back out again and start? I mean, because you had the the gallery show in at Utra, like you said, in in I think it was March. Um, so clearly, at least at some point between April twenty twenty and that show that you had, you made that you started focusing on art again. So when when did you feel comfortable doing that? How long did it take you to get back on, back on your feet? Yeah. So you mentioned Utra and uh, Martin. Um, down down at that gallery, he has been such a wonderful person to partner up with um, on various group shows, and that that particular solo show had been canceled um, because it was slated to go up. Um, when, yes, it was it was scheduled to go up, and then the pandemic hit, and so everything shut down, and basically the 
the consensus was, we don't know when, like, we don't know if things will open back up. We don't know um, if the show will, shows will resume. If we don't know, we don't know anything. We'll just play everything by ear. And so that was like all the permission I needed to just stop making, right? Right. We don't know shit Then I'm going to, just going to focus on my day job. So, but, but, uh, but, uh, Martin Arutra and I, you know, we stayed in touch and, you know, like every six months we check back in and be like, so how's it going with you? Oh, it's, it's still not great. Cool. Uh, not great here either. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've, I've been wanting to work with him for so long on, on a big project. Um, and like I said, he's, he's really wonderful to partner with. Um, so then at some point when things were starting to look promising, um, and, and not as, uh, um, apocalyptic, the conversation became, well, do, would, would you still like to do this? And yes, we would still like to do this. Okay, great. Maybe let's set a tentative date out for this time. And okay. And then check back in and it's like, actually, no, let's not do that. Let's set it out for So at some point, I think to answer your question, it was less about feeling comfortable to do it and more like, okay, I'm getting the support and the green light from, you know, this, this person who has been working with me for the last couple of years that we can move ahead. I just got to get, I just got to make something and get out there. I, I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel creative. I didn't feel like I had the time that I needed, but, um, or the ideas that I wanted a lot of, uh, for that particular show, I had started it in 2019. Some of those pieces I had begun working on three years ago. And by the time it was apparent that I needed to, you know, finish up the show, get it going, I, I just sanded them off and started over mm-hmm. because I was, you know, different person, different, different place. Um, some of those ideas just didn't feel right anymore. So it was, yeah, it wasn't about feeling comfortable. It was about just, just doing it, yeah. I guess. And, and so I, I'm curious how this whole um, experience has affected like the pace at which you work. Cause you know, prior to now you were doing a solo show every couple of years and that was seemed to be like a consistent uh, pace for you. Do you feel like that's going to change now that you're kind of relearning or kind of uh, seeing how your art practice relates to your day job and that's sort of changed a little bit. Um, do you think you'll slow down a bit more or do you want to, I mean, is that a goal that you have? <laughs> I don't want to slow down. Um, I think I have to. I think that uh, it's good to slow down. And a lot of the ideas that I have now are, they feel more complicated for my style, uh, for the things that I, other ideas that I've been exploring, I had been exploring, compared to the other ideas that I had been exploring previously, the the things that come to mind now for me are such that they it they require more time they require more care and i'm okay with that because i i like some of the concepts that i would that I've, i'm exploring now and the things the projects that i have in my mind that i want to bring to life later um i'm i feel uh satisfied in the decision to give them the time that they need. Um, and if that means slowing down or only doing a couple of shows a year or one show a year or no shows a year, because I need to spend all that time working, 
I think I'm at a place now where I can, I can make those decisions and not feel like a failure for it. Excellent. I mean, I'm sure that's, um, that's a lot of introspection. That's a lot because that's a personal thing where you are like, okay, I'm going to focus on doing this right for me and not necessarily what is, or meeting some expectation that I think other people have of me, you know? Yeah. I, I, but you know, some people get to come to that realization much sooner than others. And clearly it took me a while. Um, like I said, uh, it, it's, uh, it's been a journey to, you know, suss out what feels right for me, even if it doesn't look like um, what I thought it would look like or what other people maybe want for you. It's hard because when you're a young artist, um, you know, you've got, I mean, I did it. You look at what other successful artists are, are doing by successful, maybe successful by your definition, right? Whatever that is. And, and you may use that as the, the marker for how you ought to live your life. But it's so easy to forget that that's not you and your circumstances are unique to you. And so you have to, yeah, I, I, it just took me a little bit longer to realize all that. I think. That's great that you have though. Um, and so let's dive into the, uh, the work itself. And I know that you're, you know, your work often has this very kind of dreamlike aesthetic to it, um, all the way from the colors that you use to the surreal imagery. Is 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 your work inspired by you like your own dreams? Is that a source of inspiration for you? Uh, yeah, um, I I would say that dreams, musings, or um, um, you know, ideas that sort of just come to you when you're in a relaxed state and your mind is wandering or, or you're looking out a window or something. Um, yeah, I, I, I do a lot of reading, um, and writing of, uh, of different, you know, observations from what I read. I don't, I don't write anything. I don't write novels or, or stories per se, but if I'm reading poetry and I'm, I'm curious by a particular passage or a word that I don't understand the meaning of, you know, I'll write that down and sometimes that leads to, you know, other ideas or uh, other, I mean, I love, I love being curious and I love learning about something and learning about what, what inspired that thing and who referenced that. And actually there's a backstory to it and there's history there, or there's another word that's related to that. I love that. And oftentimes when I'm just on my little, like, uh, you know, following wherever the thread of curiosity takes me, that's when an idea will come up. And um, sometimes, um, sometimes it's when I'm laying down trying to go to bed, and then I'll I'll have an idea and I'll grab my phone and voice record some nonsense like cat on a boat and he's crying. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Uh, and other times, you know, if um, the ideas are just not coming man it's like i'm drawing blanks i'm watching movies i'm reading books uh reading poetry and i'm just not getting any ideas although it's very hard not to get any any ideas when you're having that much creative input but um i will also like force ideas out by um you know writing little one word verbs or nouns on pieces of paper, jumbling them up in a tin, pulling them out, writing them down. It's like, you know, the Dadaists and, and poets, they'll, <laughs> in the history, they did all kinds of goofy conjurings like that, clippings from newspapers to make new, new poems. Like, I'll, I'll force ideas out that way sometimes too. Um, some of them are, are not great, um, but it's, it's more about the, the process of like, you know, 
getting the gears spinning. And, um, you know, there were, there were a couple of years there right before the pandemic hit where, um, I was struggling with some health problems that severely impacted my, um, cognition and uh, had, had some really bad brain fro- frog. See, I had some really bad, <laughs> I had some bad brain fog for a couple of years there. And it was really hard to concentrate. It was very, very difficult to be creative. And it, um, so it, it was helpful to have like those little tricks of like forcing ideas out just by way of playing with words and, you know, um, seeing what, what pops to mind, you know, when you, when you hear a new word or you put it next to that word, or you think about the, the guy who invented that word, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so where the inspiration comes, it, it, yeah, it just comes from exploration and curiosity of, of, uh, uh, of daydreams, I guess, and, and a lot of reading. Very cool. And, and so do you have any techniques that you use for like remembering some of these things? You know, you said you used your phone and you'll just state a, a kind of a prompt in your phone, but even then, like you have to remember what you were even thinking about at the time, once you re-listen to it the next day or whatever. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's- so like, how do you go about like retaining some of those ideas and, and do you have techniques for that? Yeah, that, that, uh, you know, recording things down on your phone is not super reliable because, um, <laughs> I have found that I'll do it while I'm really sleepy. And so I don't actually, maybe don't even remember doing it. And also it's just garbage. Um, no, I, I write, I write things down. I have to write them down. I have, um, as I'm getting a little bit older, I'm having more, um, memory related <laughs> sort of, uh, sure. uh, issues. And so I, um, I write it as much as I can. I write it down. I've got notes in my phone. I've got, I know it's, this is a, uh, a podcast, but I'll show you. I've got like books like this where it's just, um, well, it's not very good, is it? Just passages on passages, or, you know, interesting phrases or, or words or ideas. And then I'll, I'll, I'll lead it to another idea. Um, it's more about the process of writing everything down and getting the ideas out. Then later when I'm in a position where I need to like find something to, to make, I'm like, okay, I've got, I agreed to do a show. What are we going to do? I'll go back to the journals and be like, okay, well, what was I interested in six months ago? What kinds of curious phrases popped up while I was reading that, that, that poem? Oh, that's interesting. Ooh, that makes me think of this, that, or the other. Um, and so it's a lot of language-based note-keeping, um, you know, things like that. I, I don't really keep, uh, I don't use my sketchbook the way a lot of other artists do. Um, I, I tend to write in my sketchbook more, um, rather than draw out thumbnails or, you know, if I have an, an, an image in my head, instead of drawing out the image, I'll write what the image looks like. Um, I find that, uh, sketching can be so difficult for me. It always has been. I don't get a lot of pleasure from it. And um, it's also, it feels so concrete, like, okay, that's the image. A person standing on the bridge, that's the image. But if I write the words, a person standing on the bridge, I don't know what the person looks like. I don't know what the bridge looks like. Is it is it a real bridge? Is it a, you know, is it just a concept of a bridge? Like, I, it, it feels more freeing if it's if it's written word versus um, a drawing. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. And so, you know, we talked earlier about the the recognition that you had where you don't you don't you're not necessarily 
you know, good at sequential images and you like to capture a larger story with one image. And that was that, the you know, the kind of realization you made early on. But do you, in the service of creating a piece, write the larger backstory that that image is participating in? Does that help you in that your kind of creative process? It does. Um, and I do. Uh, but those are like private for me only. Right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I suppose if, you know, someone were to, to come visit me and see a new painting I was working on, you know, that could be part of that discussion. But um, it's it, it does help me because uh, to, to, to have a, a, loosely a story written out in some way, because um, then when I'm continuing to work on a piece, if there's a component in there that might seem out of place for, you know, for someone who's just seeing it for the first time, it makes sense to me because it's part of that story. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And so like, are the stories that you're telling, are these personal experiences? Are you telling larger kind of global truths? Like what, what are the stories that you're telling if, if your art is more kind of a narrative based? Yeah. I think when I was younger, it definitely was more self-focused. Um, I think that has a lot to do with youth in general and, um, who I was at the time for sure. But as I've gotten older, there are, um, uh, there are concepts that I'm interested in exploring, and they're they're a little they're bigger than me. Sometimes, oftentimes, they're bigger than me, and I use visual language that I know to try to communicate what it is that I'm trying to you know ask. It's usually it's a question rather than a story, um, mm-hmm. but um, I I have there are a few pieces that I've been working on and uh, several more that are underway right now that are a little bit different than I have been used to previously. Um, because they're, they're just, there's so much that I'm curious of there. Yeah. There's so many questions that I want to ask that I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know. There are certain stories that I don't know how to tell, but, but there's a lot of questions that I want to ask. And so, um, yeah, there are a lot of concepts that I'm trying to, put in visual form that um that they're 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 less about me personally i would say some of these and more about um maybe more general concepts or uh, universal concepts that a lot of people share yeah but certainly there were pieces that were just straight up self-portraits and like i'm having a rough (laughs) time and here's a painting about it right right so for for that um when you were working on a larger body of work, whether it's for a show or just kind of a collection of pieces, do you like those to have uh, those stories or the questions that you're asking through your pieces? Do you like to there be a connecting kind of thread throughout, you know, the, the entirety of them? I think that's very fun um, to have that thread through all the paintings or throughout the work. Uh, I love that you could look at a series and, and see a connection through all of them. Um, I, I try not to be explicit with it. Um, if, if that is the intention, like this last solo show that I had with, uh, Utre, um, all of those paintings that were part of that show in Utre, the, they're, it, to me, they were in the same universe, like the, uh, they, they were all characters or environments that were part of the same, you know, sort of, world but they were individual stories of of themselves 
And personally, I love looking at other artists' work and seeing sort of this thread line through through the, their pieces and seeing, um, even if I don't know them personally, seeing sort of like this development of of uh, of narrative, perhaps. Um, but then I really love when you know about the artist, or you maybe you're friends with them, or you just happen to know a lot about them if, if you know they're from history, and you can line up paintings with specific periods of their life and know that like oh well they were experiencing this, or there was a war happening during this time, and this is the work they were making during that time, or you know uh, it, I I think that's very interesting too. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I think it does, and and um, you know I guess. Well, I think that speaks a lot to me just because I've always felt that knowing the larger story of the situation around the art gives you a more rewarding experience consuming the art, you know, just knowing the person's backstory or knowing the circumstances that that were going on around them. So um, that definitely makes a lot of sense to me. I guess how much intention do you do you approach that sort of thing with when it is for like, if you are aiming to have a through line throughout a body of work, do you figure out what that is before you start working on the show or do you start just working and then that sort of organically develops over time. I like to have those things figured out ahead of time because I have experienced it. I know myself well enough to know now that if I try to problem solve as I go, it's not going to be as good than if I did a lot of the problem solving ahead of time. Um, I'm not a very good improviser, so it helps to at least have a guideline by which all the work gets made. Um, Obviously, there are happy accidents that you uncover along the way and uh, moments of serendipity that you just can't account for that result in a, in a better outcome. But um, yeah, I, I, I try to have things planned out ahead of time or written out or, you know, the, the skeleton formed when it comes to the, like the content or the, the message or the question or the story. Um, and and then the painting is the muscles that get built around it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so so once you have like a solid idea, once you start working on the individual pieces um, and have kind of a solid idea for a piece, uh, how do you go about developing your composition? Is it something that, I mean, you said you, you're not a fan of sketches, you know, so do, do, do you do sketches or do you just jump right into to painting? Do you do digital composition? What's your, your method for developing compositions? Yeah, I'll do digital compositions. Um, I'll draw things out on the iPad or in Photoshop. I'll, you know, put things together. It's so much easier for me to very quickly see, you know, the technical aspects of how a painting is going to work out. Because uh, then if you, you know, you mess it up, you just start over immediately. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's uh, it's easier for me to do that, to, to do it that way, to sort of like Frankenstein these components together. Um, than it is to just like sketch it out from imagination. I just don't, it's never been pleasurable. It's very hard. Um, and I do have to plan it out. Absolutely. I have made the mistake of thinking I was a better painter than I am and that I could just put it all out on canvas and figure it out as I go. And that always leads to trouble for me, Right. (laughs) for me. Um, I know that you also build like miniature sets like that was I saw that that was part of your process, at least for some of the pieces that you do, which I I found was fascinating. And I guess how did that become part of your process? And is that something that that's always been a part of what you've you've done creatively? Uh, it was certainly not something I always did. Um, I like I love building little things. Um, 
Uh, I love sculpture. Um, it's satisfying to make something with your hands that isn't flat, you know? Um, no, there were just, there were, uh, it came about out of necessity. There were ideas that I saw in my head that when I tried to draw them out or tried to mock them up on the computer, it just wasn't, it wasn't right. It wasn't doing it. And so, you know, the only way to capture, you know, uh, get a, a good reference of what I was trying to, to make, I just needed to build it because that's the only way I can the only way I can control the way that the light is falling on it, the way that this particular, you know, shape looks and this for like, I just had to. Um, and it's very satisfying to do. Now, my, the, the main problem that I have is as a recovering perfectionist, um, I have had to learn how to let go when it comes to these little dioramas or these little sets, because they are a tool to get me to the idea. They are not the final product. They are not meant to last. And so, um, I have learned, I'm getting much better about it now to, uh, to, to make these little dioramas or these little sets out of, you know, I'll make them out of trash or garbage. Trash is good. I'll make them out of recycled materials or trash or little bits and bobs that I have around the house because, you know, I don't need to, I don't need them to be perfect items. They're probably just going to get recycled when I'm done anyway. Um, but a few of the paintings that I'm working on right now, um, which, you know, whenever this comes out, they'll, they'll probably be out in public, but there was, that was the only way to get the reference was to build these little cities or, uh, to, to build, a, a monolith coming out of an, uh, out of a lake and people standing around it. I don't know how to imagine that. Like I can see it in my head, but I don't know how to draw or paint that. So I had to build a tiny little set to do it, even if it's out of cardboard. Um, and I, I think that has made me, uh, I think it's made, it has made my process more interesting to me. And so um, I don't know if it's going to make the work better, but it, it is, it is making me love the process more actually. And how, how detailed do you usually get with these? Uh, it depends. Um, you know, for, for one of these paintings where there's like a thing glowing out of a lake, I, I really just needed certain forms. And so I just needed a, a, a square for the, the, the main shape. And then I needed tiny people. So I got some little people, you know, 3d printed. Cause all I need are the forms of like, how, how does it look when they're in this angle and the light is hitting them a certain way. Um, that's, it's so specific that you could, you could, uh, you know, you can find those images online, but it would take a long time. Um, you can take your own photos, certainly, but I needed people who were very, you know, very small. So that means you know, I'd have to be very far away. Them. Or I could just get them 3D printed. It's fine. And then I make, I have total control over the, this little set. Um, or, but that's all I need are just the form structures and to get the angles right and to get the lighting right. There's another painting I'm working on with, um, you know, a lot of little buildings and I, listen, man, I can't imagine all that. I just need to see it. So I, you know, got these little buildings and put them together. And if, if the light is hitting a certain way, then it's all uniform. It all makes sense. Whereas if I was trying to come up with that out of my own head, I just don't have that skill. So, um, yeah, it just depends. It, it would be very fun if I get to a point where I'm making these little dioramas to serve as references. And if they were nice enough and solid enough to, to be pieces in and of themselves, that would be cool too. Um, but for right now it is, it is just cardboard and plastic. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, have you ever 
had a desire to explore sculpture as an, I mean, because we, we talked earlier when you were a kid, you were making dolls and you, you were very, you know, you know, appreciated kind of the physical forms as well as, as have you thought about having sculpture be a bigger part of what you do um, as the final product? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, until recently I was living exclusively in tiny apartments. So that made sculpture very difficult. Um, yeah, no, it's absolutely something I'd love to do. I think it's great. Um, uh, objects are special and magical and I love making them, um, just as much as I love making paintings. It, it really comes down to space. You have to have, you have to have a designated space to make all the sculptures and to have all the materials to make sculptures. But painting, man, you just need a, you just need a desk, you know? <laughs> right. I'm sure someone's going to argue with me and be like, you can make sculpture anywhere, but <laughs> in my experience, I need space. So, right on. And so, you know, uh, we talked earlier about kind of the surreal, um, dreamlike nature of of your work, and I think your color palette or your choice of colors really plays a lot into that as well. Um, kind of very surreal and interestingly, both bright and dark at the same time, which I, I find fascinating. Um, so, I, I guess do or I guess how do you how do you approach color when you're working on a piece and is that something that you put a lot of thought and intention towards up front or is it more feeling based and it's sort of organic as you're as you're working out the piece itself yeah um previously i think that um earlier on in my career it was it was more intuitive i was just reaching for colors that felt right at the time eventually what happened though is that uh, i kind of got a little uh uh, surprised by reactions when I would choose colors outside of that range, right? I did a lot of pinks, a lot of blues, and then when I would do something different, I felt like I wasn't living up to the expectation of being a pink and blue artist. I'm like, ah, well, that's just because they made me happy at the time, and I want to do something different now. Um, and so, yeah, it was all it was all very intuitive. And you know, sometimes you know you make bad decisions intuitively. So I, I learned that you know I needed to you know shape it up a bit. Uh, Actually, so working at, at my day job where I, I paint statues uh, and it's like it's client based work. So it's for somebody else. It has to hit, you know, someone else's expectations and, you know, the markers that they set. Uh, it became pretty clear that I needed to talk about color theory a little bit better and to communicate it to a team. Um, so so I couldn't just rely on because it felt right. You know, that wasn't good enough. <laughs> and so what that has informed my personal practice uh, uh, I have learned that my work benefits from more work ahead of time, planning out um, my colors. Uh, I, I do a lot of prelims now. I did not do that stuff before. Um, I, I test out my colors. I try to make sure I know how my pigments work with each other, what's the fastest way to get to an end result using the fewest amount of colors as possible. You know, I didn't do that before. Um, I think my relationship with colors has gotten better, actually, because of my day job. Um, and um, and I'd like to think it's making my, my work better too, but I think really it's just making my relationship to my work better. Um, because I can, I can say like, I did these experimentations and this, and I can tell you why these colors work versus it just felt right. You know? So is it, it's given you the means to articulate something that was mostly just feeling based. Now you can actually speak about, well, this is why I did it that way. 
That's right. I mean, technically, when you go, when you do go to any type of when you get any kind of schooling, you do learn color theory and like the mechanics of painting and all that technical aspect related stuff. Um, but when it came to my personal work, it was always I would just reach for what felt right and optically for me, right? So, you know, imagine you're going to like a hardware store and you go to the paint chip aisle and you're looking at all of those colors. There are certain areas that you are probably more uh, drawn towards than others. And so I would just keep going and making work that made me feel a certain way, probably, you know, made me feel good or made me feel excited. And um, now it's a little bit less of making me feel excited and more like, okay, well, what's the most effective way to make this painting look good? Um, what's, what's the most effective way to make that particular component in the painting pop, you know, um, rather than how do, how do I feel? Um, but, but ultimately I, it makes me feel better for it because now I have more research to back up, you know, my idea. Um, and that makes me feel more secure going in. Yeah. I see, um, color swatches behind you there on the wall. Is, is that part of your process where you're, you're trying to, I guess, land on a certain palette for a piece or how does that participate in your current process now that you've, you know, learned a bit more, at least, you know, adjusted your relationship to color? Um, yeah, it, it, I think it's made me, um, a stronger, uh, uh, stronger painter actually, actually. Um, I, yeah, like I said, I didn't really do color studies prior. I thought that they were, they weren't sexy. Um, I just want to get started on painting. You know, once I figured out the idea, <laughs> let's go, I know what colors I like, do it. Um, but, but now, um, I, I want to have a deeper relationship with the tools that I use. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I just want to have a better relationship with what I'm making and, um, and I want it to be less about, you know, the final product selling and more about the, the process as, as I want to make the process as, as joyful for me as possible. And one of the ways to do that is to like remove the guesswork, remove all the, the, the troubles that come my way. And I just happen to know that one of the troubles is I don't, you know, if you don't know your tools very well, then, then you're going to, you're going to struggle. Yeah. Like those color swatches, you know, it's not, it's not sexy. I did not like doing that in school, but I like doing it now because it shows me, you know, it shows me the way that the colors work together or, react, um, um, what their different properties are. And I think that when I was younger, I didn't care how long it took, um, to get to an end result because intuitively I would just find my way through the, the forest, so to speak, and end up at grandma's house no matter what. But now I want to like chart my path better and, um, be more, um, intentional about the, the groundwork. So that requires me to know, um, yeah, just to have a deeper uh, understanding of, you know, how, how to achieve what I, I want to, because ultimately I, I do want to have a good final piece, but um, I just, I don't want to meander too much. I want to, I want to get there. So. Well, that makes sense. And and so, you know, oil is your primary uh, medium of choice. And you talked about, you know, you've historically worked out of your apartment or out of your home. How, has that been a challenge just working with oil in a living space when it's, you know, there's toxic fumes and you have to be concerned with airflow and like, how has that worked for you? Oh yeah. You just work by some windows. That's how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I try, I try to use materials that won't kill me. Um, I've changed to, 
you know, odor, odorless, as they call it, uh, solvents. And uh, I, I, yeah, I try to stick with the stuff that I try to stick with the stuff that I, um, I know how to handle and I, I keep ventilation in mind. Um, you know, when it comes time to varnish, you know, I'll do that outside. And, and I don't really have any like cats or dogs getting into my workspace or anything like that. So, so it's not really an issue regarding other people or other animals getting, um, getting sick. I just try to be careful. Okay. Right on. And it has, has working out of, you know, your living space forced certain decisions on you, like just due to the logistics of the space that you have, as far as maybe the size or dimensions or the materials that you work with, have you made certain choices that are more logistical based? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons I don't make sculpture is I don't, I don't really have a space to do it. Um, and that's okay. I don't, I also don't feel the pressure yet, but I'm sure, I'm sure sometime I will. Um, and the work that I like to make is, it was about, you know, human size. It's about if, you know, if you're standing next to it, it's about the size of your body or less. And so I like, I like, uh, that, that size work and it just works out well to, to, you know, work out of your living situation. Uh, if you don't have to make enormous pieces, um, yeah, it, right now it feels very satisfying to to have the kind of work that I make and it works out that uh, I have a living space to do it out of. Um, there is something to be said about like separation, psychologically, separation of space uh, for work um, versus relaxation or entertaining. For example, my living room is not a living room, it's a studio. So there isn't there isn't a couch, there aren't chairs or tables for people to sit at. There is a desk, some easels, you know, supplies. Um, so when people do come over, I'm like, you're gonna have some on the floor. I don't have anything for you. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but it's not like I have a lot of people over, um, especially not during, during the times, the bad times. But, yeah. um, um, yeah, it, I, w- I would say that, uh, uh, it, uh, pros and cons, right? It, it it does inform the work that gets made, but also it's it it works out f- for me just fine right now, and that's okay. Awesome, very cool, and yeah, I mean, I, I think another thing about that, that just to be, you know, um, protective of is work life balance, and you know, making sure that you have time to yourself, that you know, you're not overworking just because it's right there, you know. Absolutely. Although that being said, uh, there are there are many times where I'll be lying in bed or and watching a show or reading a book, and I'll look over in the corner of the room and, and think, "Yeah, I could put my easel right there." And then all I would have to like, <laughs> I could just roll out of this bed and roll over to that <laughs> chair. Like, I don't even have to walk all the way to the living room. That would be great. So um, I think I think like. Uh, for me, the the life artwork balance doesn't matter so much. I'm very happy if those two blend together. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. It is very important if like the work, day job work stays stays where yeah. it's at. Very cool. So let's talk about what you have coming up. What is um you know you, we talked about the show that you you had earlier in the year. What has been your focus since then, and what does like the rest of 2022 look like for you? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I've I've got a couple of group shows lined up here and there, a smattering. Um, I'm working with Utra again on the on a with a group show. These are all just group shows. I think that after that big show with them that I had earlier this year, I needed. I mean, you need a break. You need to um, 
or at least the slowdown. So the, I only have group shows lined up. It's a few here and there. And um, there are some things on the horizon, but I don't have confirmation of dates yet. So I'm not going to talk about them. But, but what I will say is that there are some bigger ideas, or maybe I should say longer narratives that um, I, would, I have interest in bringing to life. And um, I, I hope that I get a chance to do that because I, I think they're, they're interesting. Um, do you think that will, I mean, if, if you're able, what will that manifest into? Is that a show? Is that some bigger project? I think if, if, if I have it my way, it will be a show plus something else, but I don't know what that something else is just yet, whether that's like an event or something. I don't know. I don't know. I'm still, it's very much in the early stages and I'm really glad to be in a position where I can just, um, look ahead at the next couple of years and I, you know, you're your own captain. So it's, it's really nice to be in a position to sort of decide where you want to take these ideas to. That's exciting. That's kind of where I'm at. Just thinking. That's awesome. And so I guess anything else that you'd want to put on people's radar that's coming up, events, print releases, stuff that you'd want to have people looking out for? Um, I do have some prints available on the people's print shop right now. Um, I do not, I'm, I'm not one of those artists who have a lot of prints out and available for purchase. So, um, if you are interested in my work, this is one of the few current ways to, to, to get something affordable. I, yeah, I'm, I am planning on having some studio sales later this year of more smaller and more affordable pieces so that, uh, you know, if you're not able to, to, to get a larger painting through a gallery, and a lot of us aren't, but this is, this is one of the ways you could do that. So, um, yeah, so for followers of my um, Patreon or people who are subscribed to my newsletter, they'll, they'll know about those studio sales when they happen. Um, otherwise, just group shows here and there. Awesome. And you mentioned Patreon. How has that been working out for you? Is that... Uh, I just started it. You just started it? I just started it a couple months ago. And um, it's something that I've really wanted to do for a long time, but I didn't know how to do it that felt right for me. Um, you know, you've got a lot of really talented artists on there that make it work for them. And, you know, I was looking at all the different ways, the configurations, the all the work that gets involved in some cases. And, um, you know, I... It, it just took a long time for me to figure out how to m- make it feel right. And I think I'm still figuring that out. Um, but yeah, just started still early. Awesome. So uh, where can people like follow you along, you know, to keep up with all these cool things you got coming up and the longer term project that you just talked about? Oh, yeah. Well, primarily I use Instagram, my newsletter, uh, which you can sign up for on my website, sidb.com. Um, like I said, my Patreon's brand new. Um, Newsletter is probably the most um, effective way to stay in touch with me because Instagram makes it very difficult. You don't see everything all the time. Um, and I only send out my newsletter once every couple months when there's something um, newsletter worthy to share. But that's probably the most direct way to, to, to learn about new things that are going on. Uh, so last question, and this is something that I like to ask everybody. Uh, who is one artist that you'd like to see me have on the show? I have thought about this because I know you asked that (laughs) and I wanted to come prepared. So if you haven't already, there is uh, an artist in town named Mary Iverson and she does these beautiful paintings. Um, I had the pleasure of doing um, a mural down here uh, in Seattle. Um, Casey Weldon and I partnered on a mural together and our mural neighbor was Mary Iverson and she is 
wonderful. So her work is um, like these really elegant landscapes. It's like landscape environments meets industrial. It's interesting. And she, she, her work seems to speak a lot about like the sort of complexity of how those different um, systems work together. Um, and right now, what I really love is she has been using Instagram to um, do like these very charming PSAs uh, about materials and um, what do you do with your solvents it was set to really, really fun music. Uh, anyway, I just think she, I think she's great. She's doing really interesting work. She's got a show coming up here. And um, yeah, I think she would be I think she'd have a lot of really interesting things to say. Awesome. Well, great suggestion. And Sid, thank you so much for, for coming on and chatting with me today. I really appreciate this. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a real pleasure. So that's it for this episode of Art Affairs. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sid. It was interesting how the topic of burnout and, you know, maintaining a healthy work-life balance came up yet again on the show. It's something that came up in my conversation with Lily a few episodes ago and again with Tegan last episode. And not only did we talk about that, but we also moved into another topic that's come up quite a lot over the years, which is, you know, an artist using a day job as a means to give themselves the, you know, the creative freedom to explore and experiment without having to worry about whether or not the work will, you know, be able to support them financially. And this has allowed Sid to, you know, stay more true to her artistic vision. And, you know, it seems like it took a little time to come to that realization or that recognition, but it sounds like things have settled into a more comfortable place for her. This big new project that she's starting on sounds exciting. With, you know, with this newfound freedom to explore and allow the work to really develop at its own pace, It'll be interesting to see where she takes it and also how it manifests or how it, you know, how she chooses to present it. It sounds like it might be a combination of a new solo show along with, you know, possibly some other adjacent component. Definitely sign up for Sid's mailing list to stay up to date with this project as well as some of the group shows that she has coming up this year. So thanks again to Sid for joining me today and thank you for checking out the show. I am truly grateful for your support. And just a reminder, one big way you can help out if you're really enjoying the show would be to check out the show's Patreon. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash artifairs. And as always, you can contact me through my website at artifairspodcast.com or on Instagram at artifairspodcast. So until next time, be good to yourself and be good to each other. Thank you.